0: Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you, So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. Thanks be to God.
1: The second reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 25 to 33. The Cost of Being a Disciple Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost, see if he has enough money to complete it? if he lays the foundations and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able, with his ten thousand men, to oppose the one coming against him with twenty thousand? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Thanks be to God. Amen.
2: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our God, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I I really don't know what the the people who compiled the lectionary were thinking when they designed it. The Gospel reading this week, oh gosh, uh, is annoyingly similar to the one I preached on here just a few weeks ago. So yeah, I can't, I thought, when I read it I thought, oh I've got that sermon, oh no I haven't. I I can't rehash it, this isn't good. Um, so yeah how really annoying Um, so so when I looked at it I thought really do I have to well I suppose I don't really have to I could have just made something something else up but it's really good practice I think to to go with what's there so I'll try not to cover the same ground again hopefully so here we go hate your mother, hate your father, hate your wife, hate your children, hate your brothers, hate your sisters, hate even life itself. And oh yes, well you are have to give up all your possessions and then and only then will you be ready to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Woo. Uh, <coughs> what is Jesus talking about? Uh, has Jesus forgotten the fourth commandment? Uh, Do we forget about honouring our parents? Wasn't it Jesus who said we had to love our neighbours as ourselves? Didn't Jesus try to talk us into loving our enemies? Has Jesus forgotten that God is love? It's difficult to recognise Jesus in this text, I think. This is not the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, of our childhoods. This Jesus sounds too harsh. And Jesus seemingly... Uh, it wants to turn us into religious fanatics who hate everybody and give up on everything, even life itself. Sounds like a bit of a cult to me. But, uh, but according to Luke, Jesus, let's look at it in a bit of a context, Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. And he paints a picture of a uh, huge crowds following Jesus, clamouring for his attention, pleading for his healing touch, and anxiously awaiting the next miracle. pledging to follow Jesus wherever he's going, hoping against hope that Jesus could save them from their problems. But only Jesus knows where they're going. Only Jesus knows that he's on his way to Jerusalem, headed straight for the cross. And only Jesus knows what suffering and horror lie ahead. So Jesus looks at these large crowds who are traveling with him, and he throws a bucket of cold water over them. And that might, at that moment, Jesus might be the Messiah, but they might want to follow him to the ends of the earth, but Jesus knows exactly what following him will mean. So he asks the crowds to think carefully before they follow him any further. Now, according to the English dictionary, the word hate is defined as intense hostility and aversion distaste coupled with sustained ill will. That's great, isn't it? So if that's what Jesus is asking for, then count me out. Uh, I don't have the greatest relationship with my family, uh, but I'm not really prepared to summon up intense hostility and aversion and distaste coupled with ill will for them. Uh, There may be days when I don't like life very much, but hate even life itself? No, no thanks. So this passage troubled me so much that I decided to do a bit of research into the Greek and find, discover exactly what Jesus was saying. Uh, and I discovered that it's a Greek phrase that he's saying that doesn't really translate very well into English. So it's a bit like, it's a bit like when I fell down the steps at Herne Bay coming out of the pulpit. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I said, I, I literally died from embarrassment. Obviously, I didn't, like, you know, I died twice. But uh, the actual meaning isn't quite as, hard as, as harsh as hate. It means to love less or to turn away from, turn your back on or detach yourself from. So he's not really saying, let's hate everybody. We said sometimes you need to turn your back. But Jesus is warning the crowd that following him means that they will have to turn away from the people they'll love from the life that they know. So he's trying to shock the crowd into some sort of understanding of what's to come. He knows that most of the crowd will not be able to follow him to the cross. Jesus' words are designed to shock the crowds into an understanding of the cost of following him. He knows that Messiah seekers and salvation hunters don't really want that type of leader who's going to be murdered. And with the cross in his sights, the cost of discipleship is at the forefront of his attention now more than ever. And these two little parables about the man with the tower, or, or with the lack of tower, uh, and the the king and his war, are about the cost of discipleship. And Jesus is not discouraging people from following him, and he's not discouraging them from. But he is discouraging them from following him without counting the cost. We are to count the cost before we commit to anything. And counting the cost doesn't mean we have to pay up. It doesn't have, mean we have to come up with enough money or enough pain to earn our way into Jesus's good graces. Uh, it's not saying that we must earn divine love by hating our family or holding a contest to see whose crosses holds the most pain. I think he's actually really talking about grace. He's has been graceful to them. And the grace of God isn't cheap. It requires a response. And that we can only receive the grace of God with open hands. And to open those hands is to let go of all the things that are getting in the way of that grace. Uh, And Jesus normally refers to this letting go as repentance. Now I used to work with this bloke. Uh, and he was full of these really annoying little pithy sayings. He used to infuriate all of us. He's like, he's like winners never quit, and quitters never win. Oh, and, and when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It's like something out of Proverbs. Uh, one of them is actually out of Proverbs, but there we are. But these parables aren't like this. They don't deserve to be reduced to a moralistic sermon in which... The preacher wagging her finger at the congregation berates everybody for saying, giving up on anything or starting something they couldn't finish. Now, some things we start, we should finish. Others, not so much. Uh, Sometimes I really have to administer to a student who needs to drop a course. because it's it's hurting them. Sometimes we really need to end an abusive relationship. And I should have definitely given up my printing business before it left me with £80,000 worth of debt. But, you know, we know these things in hindsight. But I should have done that. But I had this, this annoying thing in my ear going, quitters don't, you know, oh, hated it. But these parables depict a man staring at a foundation he can't build on and a king contemplating a war which is outnumbered two to one. And perhaps... If Jesus was here now, he might have told a parable about maybe a government who campaigns an electorate to vote for something that they can't really deliver on. I don't know what that could be, but anyway, <laughs> these two parables call for a sermon that encourages people not to get themselves into this kind of spiritual situation. The kind in which they are faced without, with a task that they can't, without the means to complete it. And they call for a sermon that urges people to count the cost of discipleship and commit to following Jesus in all the ways that lies ahead. And this cost and commitment can only be preached in God's commitment to us. The cross conveys God's commitment to us. The resurrection conveys God's power to see us through every obstacle that litters the path ahead. So the cost of discipleship is everything, not just everything we have, but everything we are. But by following Jesus, it also means being raised to new life, being reborn, and receiving life again as a gift. Letting go and allowing the divine potter to reshape the claim. Through God and Jesus, this gift of life is ours And it's up to us whether we receive it with open hands. Thanks be to God.
1: Amen.